listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Some years ago, when I was in Nepal chasing Buddha, there was this uh, teacher who uh, I, would, I, I sat down and kind of had a, a, a meeting with. We would sign up, and uh, you know those of us, those Westerners. There, there were several Westerners at this particular monastery at the time, and uh, so I was. I scheduled a time to meet with this gentleman, and he sits down in front of me, very casual, kind of, you know, sits like this in a, in a chair, crosses his legs. He doesn't do the Zen thing, which is fold your legs up in full lotus and bow and wait for the student to ask the question. He says, says, he says, so what, what, what do you want to know? So that was really kind of cool. It's like, oh, okay, boy, man, now I'm really off my balance. Uh, let's see, what do I want to know? Um, I want to know. Uh, what is Buddha mind? Figuring that would stump him or something. I don't know. I was trying to get creative, you know, because what you always want to try to do is, of course, stump the uh, Buddhist master, yeah. And he looked at me and he kind of just gave me this chortle, kind of a, <laughs> forget all that, he says. But the accent was so thick I could barely understand, I, but I could really read what, in fact, he was saying. He says, forget all that. Just know you're going to die. Now what's important? And I still look at that as one of the greatest teachings, one of the greatest uh, fires to ignite under anyone's practice. What does it mean to really contemplate our own mortality, our own death that will come? It will come. And we typically have one of three general reactions to this. The first reaction is fear, okay? It's a fear kind of, whoa, no, I'm not dealing with that. It's a denial. That's the most common. And sometimes we cover that uh, or address that, that denial up with, well, I just don't want to be obsessed by it, okay? I don't want to be obsessed. I don't want my life to be run by that. Understandable, but this is a great hiding place for the ego. In other words, Recognizing our own mortality is nothing other than recognizing our own temporary body, our own temporary mind, this temporary experience, this fleeting experience. So that's one of them, avoidance. The other one is to go the other direction, which is to obsess over it. Yeah, I'm going to die. Oh, okay. Well, then I want to make sure I do this, 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 this. Well, that's really healthy on one level, but if we're not careful, that can become just experiential materialism. We just live for the next event, achievement, destination. We forget the critical teaching, which is to be here, in this space, inhabit this body, in this moment. The other place we can go when we hear this is we can become very, very willing 
to answer this deeply personal call. There's something inside of us, when I say deeply personal, I mean there's something deeply inside each one of us that is terrified of this eventuality. Not only for us, but for others. And we don't want to face that terror. Yet what this practice offers us is a way to face that terror. A way to come to terms with this eventuality in a way that's celebratory, without attachment, without clinging, without avoidance. It allows us into a deeper life. And at the point where we're really ready, we're really ready to kind of surrender to that reality, to let go into that space of fear, is the minute a major shift happens in our practice and the way we live our lives. And so, I would encourage everyone to allow this exposure to arise. There's no escape from this. There's no escape from this. But there is a way of coming to terms with this eventuality in a way that allows this eventuality to no longer be a source of suffering. And once we can do this, once we begin to practice coming to terms with death, our own death, the ceasing of everything, when we can come to terms with that, everything else is trivial. So this is kind of a big step. It's a major teaching. But see if you can look at this as best you can, as best you can, at whatever level you feel comfortable. And it might be like you don't feel comfortable at all with it. You might feel like too much, can't deal, fine. <coughs> Contemplate your breath. Count your breaths. Go back to something that feels a little bit more secure. And when you feel ready, maybe it's 10 years from now. Maybe it's next Monday night. Maybe it's tomorrow morning on your cushion. I don't know. Whenever you start feeling like, okay, I want to try this again, dip your toes in that water. Dip your toes in that water. This may sound freaky. Okay. To the ego, it certainly is freaky. Okay. To that in you, which was never born and will never die, it's going, finally. Whew, let's get on with it. <laughs> You're being offered with every single situation a red carpet, a red carpet right into this beautiful palace. If you don't like that metaphor, you are watching 
a group of people out in front of this divine nightclub part ways and the velvet rope is being lifted for you. Okay? If you don't like that metaphor, I'm sure I could probably... Oh, the red carpet into the house of God. Okay? If you don't like that metaphor, make one up, let me know, email me. I'll be happy to use it next time or something. But this red carpet image, this offering, the ego will see that as a plank eventually. It'll look at it as a red car. Oh, cool, man. I'm going to get more spiritual here. And then it suddenly starts to see, oh, my God, I am walking off a plank into this ocean, oceanic experience off this ship that I've been captaining. And once again, this is where the, the teacher, the teaching, and the group can be very, very helpful because we're all doing this together. We're all doing this alone, together. We're with each other in this process. So let me encourage you to be fearless. Let me also encourage you to be gentle. Okay? Be gentle. But be real. So, in talking about fear, we can find all, all sorts of things that, that come up in our day-to-day -day that can remind us of places where we kind of cling on to the hope that this body of ours will last forever, that this situation will have uh, meaning and duration forever. And yet the universe always wins. The universe always wins. The universe, uh, uh, just, just today, this poor woman in Stern Grove was putting her dog in her car, and a branch broke from a redwood, killed her. And we're always reminded of things like this, these men and women in, our, in the armed services uh, who are facing the IEDs uh, along the highways of Baghdad, the shoppers in the markets in that part of the world who are dealing with bombings and so forth. It's a much deeper immediacy. And treated with uh, awareness or given awareness, our ability to continue to function in the world despite all these threats can be enhanced. Yet fear is one of these pervasive things that we face constantly. There was a political candidate who got in trouble for talking about the fear of people in small towns in Pennsylvania and how this fear has, uh, you know, they start looking at jobs that went away and that they're not coming back and how this fear has turned to a bitterness that uh, helps them resort to clinging to religion and to guns and to antipathy um, in relationship to people who are not like them, anti-immigrants, uh, anti-immigrant ways of thinking and speaking, <coughs> anti-trade agreement thinking, all this stuff. And my only um, analysis 
of this particular candidate's speech is that he missed it entirely. It's not small towns in Pennsylvania. It's everywhere. It's the human condition to fear like that and to cling. It's a deeply Buddhist teaching. And I also think it's very, very true. Now, there may have been a lack of skill in the communicating of this particular idea, but I think there's a deep resonant truth to it, that we have fear, and that fear continually surrounds and encases the idea of loss. All fear is related to loss. And it usually revolves around the loss of our body, the loss of love, the loss of a job, the loss of a community. It's all about loss. The forced surrender of something at some future point. You know, and when we lose our, our livelihood, we look for answers. We grasp at anything that will give us some type of sustenance, some type of meaning, and perhaps that is a wisdom tradition. Perhaps it is a gun. Perhaps it is an ideology that really judges others. It's not just the small town. It's the big world that goes into this space. But there's a way around it. We talk about how that so much of this work that we're engaged in here, not only in this room, but in life, is to come to some form of equanimity, come to some form of peace in spite of it all. No matter what shows up, can we give it our attention? Can we be alert to whatever is? In doing so, we open We make ourselves available to the divine error of awakening. We make ourselves available. We make ourselves accident prone to the accident of enlightenment. So one of the most powerful things you can do is give yourself exposure to loss. Whether it's a mind-created fantasy in the future, and some, some minds do a really good job of this, you know? <laughs> I've got a sore throat. It must be cancer, you know, that type of thing, you know? <laughs> Where we can do this wild projection, okay? Wild projection into the future. We can also look at our, uh, uh, you know, the loss of, or, or what we never had growing up, and we can turn that into this story that haunts us for the re and keeps us small for the rest of our lives. Turns us into people that have had life done to them, as opposed to something that they can dance with. And as long as that story lingers, we're always going to have life done to us in some capacity. So we can really fall into these kind of egoic, small self traps and just stay there 
But the cool thing is that loss actually gives us a flick right on the ear and says, snap out of it. Just like the master in Nepal did to me. You're going to die. Lose this intellectual stuff. That's not important. What is important is this experience that you have right now is absolutely 100% totally temporary. You're going to lose your body. You're going to lose those you love. You're going to lose your community. You're going to lose your mind. And you're going to lose your livelihood at some point. Are you ready? Are you really ready? And it's not a question of are you ready? Sure, let's lose it. <laughs> it's a question of are you ready when any or all of these things happen hopefully they'll happen over a period of time but whenever any of these happen, these things happen are you ready to face it with every bit of your alert attention because that alert attention is free of the gain or the loss altogether that alert attention is the opening is the availability, is the willingness, is that doorway that allows us in. It's where the red carpet has been leading us. So if you can allow loss to break your heart wide open and stay right there with it the whole time, you're ready. You can then use loss as a tool, as a helper, as a reminder that this work ultimately, this work ultimately is about being prepared, preparing ourselves to lose it all consciously. And when we start doing that, there's this miracle that happens, this mystery that happens. We start brimming with love because that's what's left when we get out of our own way. That's what's left when you fall away. That's what's left when you wake up to what's real, is love. It's not something you have to work at. It's not something you have to reach for. It's there, always. So, essentially, knowing that disaster will strike, knowing that uh, the divinity of the universe is going to tweak our ear when we least expect it, we create a steadiness. We create a non-panic when it comes to loss. And this eradicates fear. There's a tremendous letting go in all parts of our being. And once again, in that letting go, we become this radiant light, this love, very naturally. Because we have nothing to lose. Better said, nothing left to lose.
So did you cover all the bases? <laughs> yeah, that can be really intense. That can be very intense, um, which is good, which is good, uh, unless we get caught by it, OK? So one of the things I think that can be really helpful is if, you know, especially when you get into one of those group things, what we can tend to do is reify the very thing we wish to actually open uh, up front. In other words, we can get really caught by what's going on on stage. Does that make sense? The stories can become very thick, especially like when somebody says something you agree with. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and then it spawns another thing. Yeah, well, and I fear the loss of whatever. And then it becomes, instead of fear, the loss of, did you notice it can become bitterness or anger? or And you might not express it to the person next to you, but it can be in there, and it might show up as just kind of like, yeah, it's fascinating. And it's an incredibly rich source for us to look at constantly, continually practicing with the things we fear losing. Did any comments or questions? Actually, I'll change that. Did any questions come up? It works better if we can deal with it. Yes, Aaron. My question came up before we did that exercise. Mm -hmm. And it came up when you mentioned giving your attention to things that you're afraid of mm -hmm. losing. And I'm afraid of giving my attention to those things because um, I learned somewhere in some time that if I give my attention to it, that I'm giving energy to it and therefore making it more real. Egos love that one. <laughs> they love that. Yeah. It's like the secret. Now we talked about that last week for I've those. Not read that book. That's okay. It's it's um. I think it has some some. It's the devil's work. <laughs> no, no, I, <laughs> I did not say that. Um, <laughs> but if you read it, you'll die. <laughs> it's like the ring. You know, you put the video in and you see it and you die. And it's the same thing. That's the secret. Uh -huh. Actually, um, <laughs> all kidding aside, where I was going with the whole secret thing was that if, you know, whatever your intention is manifests in the universe. Well, I think there's some real truth to intentionality. I talk about it all the time in here. But because you give attention to something is not the same as giving intention to something. Mm. You understand the difference? Mm -hmm. So if we give intention to peace, intention begins to kind of start manifesting. It's something that we can then give because it comes from deeply within what's true in us. Mm -hmm. And it resonates among what's true deeply in others. OK? Um, and if we have intention that is really unconscious, unconscious, unconscious intention that might be something that is about clinging to a particular idea, like I'm making this up, but I'm right, they're wrong. What we've done is we've created a, a seed of war that is guaranteed to flower. Guaranteed. Okay? <coughs> Attention, on the other hand, has no lean to it. Actually, I was noticing I was leaning there as I was talking about it, okay? Attention is just being aware, okay? So if you are aware 
of a loss. It is different than intending for that loss to happen. You're not giving it energy if you have attention. Attention observes the energetic pattern. It's free of energy. I mean, maybe a slight, slight energy because it's, it, you know, it shimmers, yeah. But it's not like, it's not like the, the, uh, the through line to, uh, uh, to anything that's, that it's, it, let me back up. It's not like a push or a pull. Okay. Intention is a lean, okay? And it's critical to have, have a bit of that lean until actually the lean falls apart, the intentionality becomes something that just that kind of disappears over the course of our practice. Uh, attention, on the other hand, something I hope you always have. So I hope that delineation, I hope mm -hmm. I kind of made that clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah, Carla. In that attention, um, as in another place in life, you might say, oh, I, I have a goal, or there's something that you're trying to achieve, so you have a goal. So then you focus on it, and you, you know, it starts to percolate, and you yes. have ideas of how to get there. So in that attention on your fear mm -hmm. of whatever the loss is, um, do you think that that has that same kind of thing as trying to have a goal? Like attention on your fear? Attention on your fear somewhere may release in you ways of understanding or seeing how to not have it manifest, how to be able to change that. I'll go, I'll go a step further than that. Yeah, I think that's really well said, actually. Attention of your fear is giving heft to that which will, is always free of fear. Your attention is never fearful. Right? Mm -hmm. It's never fearful. Um, and so the more we start um, embodying this attentionality instead of the, I'm separating, for, intentionality is cool, okay, but attentionality, when we start embodying this attentionality, I think I just made that word up. So <laughs> if we embody this attentionality, what we are doing essentially is we are, we are living from a place that is never bound by anything, just like a mirror is n never bound by what it reflects. We just start seeing the, the mess play out on the stage, and we just kind of, huh, we are attentive to it. Now, in that, when, when we start resting there, and it starts occupying a greater point of centration in the way we live, we start living from this attentionality in everything that we do, what happens is there's a much deeper ease that flows through us. Our fears are diminished substantially. They might arise, but they don't catch us. We're not locked by them. We're not imprisoned by them anymore. And that's like, that's like the human condition. And that's why we cling to religions and cling to guns and cling to antipathy towards those who aren't like us. Which, so I'll go back again to Senator Obama's words. I think that that's a profound teaching. And whether you agree with it or not, or whether you're voting for him or not, that's, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm just saying that, that that was a very, very real real commentary on what it's like to be a human being. I'm sorry. looks like you have well, some... Well, when you first spoke to us before we meditated, mm -hmm. you were saying, you know, kind of about fear or, and death. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was trying to think of, okay, so how do I do what you say to do, you know, so that one essentially gets intimate, I guess, with one's yes. death, one 
become freeze oneself over the fear. Exactly. But is that then what you're saying? That's now? the it's attention. Attention. Exactly. You give attention to the fundamental reality that will manifest. You will die. How do I give attention? Do I sit there and say? Sure. Hey. Shriek. Well, open yourself to whatever way it shows up. It might surprise you. Okay? It might surprise you. I don't know, you know? I don't know how it'll show up, but just be there for it. Be there. If, you know the book, A Year to Live, I, I love that, that idea. It's like, you got a year to live. How you, you better play for keeps now, right? Well, that reality, I think, is really profound, Without it becoming, like I said, you know, uh, experiential materialism, where I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to, what you really got to be, is here. Yeah. And so, what if we rewrote that book and instead of instead of something that said a year to live, what if we said a day to live? How would that change the peanut butter on toast that you're going to have when you go home tonight? It'll be the most amazing peanut butter on toast any human has ever had. Yeah? So we create an immediacy. And it tends to stiffen our spine when it comes up to when it comes to practice. We tend to go, oh my God, yeah, actually. Geez, everything would be different if I knew I only had twenty four hours to live. A day to live? Hmm. Yeah. First, uh, he told me, uh, you know, it could turn into leukemia. We don't know. And uh, you're going to have to take this, uh, like, uh, heavy-duty medication. Yeah. And we don't really know. We don't, there's no cure. And uh, so I went home, and I started looking on the Internet. That was followed by fear, panic attacks. I'm going to die. When I don't know. Loss of sleep, uh, loss of appetite. Then I start going to cognitive behavior therapy, reading John Kabat-Zinn and Full Catastrophe Living. And what I think it is, it's a process. Yeah. I don't think anyone here can just tomorrow say, "Okay, I'm going to be just like you." Say, okay, that's good. Okay, I got it. I think it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, or instead of process, I always beat over the head, beat you guys over the head with the word practice. Yeah. It is a practice. And you slip back. Yep. And you go forward. And you slip back and you go forward. Right. You know, but the panic attacks go away. Yeah. Better and better. You know, yeah, it's, it's like, um, I love the metaphor of surfing. Different waves show up. Some are big, some are small. And that, that going forward, coming back, is exactly the move you must make on a board in order to stay balanced. You must make that adjustment as you're surfing. Well said. Yeah. Here's to practice, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Laura. I, I would expect nothing less from you. <laughs> So if you, if you live your life and you find out 
we have cancer or whatever. I mean, right. we're all precancerous, right? But um, at some point, it comes push comes to shove, and you've got X amount of time to live, two weeks, six months, whatever. Right. And in that period of time, you're very preoccupied about death. Mm-hmm. Um, is that... Is that so much worse than spending most of your life thinking about death? Well, let me let me make sure I'm really clear on on your definitions and like thinking about death or giving attention to death. I'm I'm advocating you give attention to the fact that there is a limit, that there is a temporary nature to this thing we call body. And that helps you when you reach that point where it's essentially because you you've gone through this process of dying before you actually die therefore your relationship to the death you've you've essentially practiced and rehearsed it meditation is a rehearsal for death okay as bizarre as that sounds jennifer liked that line but uh, if you think about it you you can quote me on that one If if you think about it think about it when you are sitting absolutely still what's what is the the uh, I mean, the charge is to stop, stop, you know, stop and be alert to what the mind is doing. And then when the mind starts stopping and there's space between our thoughts, there is just sitting. There's no personality that's being expressed. There's something bigger. It's the full expression of you when you are in meditation. All right. And that full expression of you is exactly like the full expression of every single other person in this room. Now, on the surface, you might look different, or you might have a different sound to your breathing or you know, to whatever, your step or whatever, but ultimately we start looking at this great, broad depth of unity. Okay? And so when we start kind of recognizing that, oh man, that's, that's a bigger story than what I've, I've always been clinging to. Then the death starts to be recontextualized. Does that kind of make sense? How's the devil's advocate doing? <laughs> I like having you here, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah Robert. Carlos, can you give an example of how to, versus just give attention at any time death comes up, can you give an example of how to, or a recommended practice for how to meditate? Yeah, yeah, yeah meditating with, with death? Instead of saying, oh, right now I'm thinking about death, I need to find my cushion. <laughs> I actually would not recommend that. <laughs> yeah. Saying, I want, I want to meditate on death. You can, yeah, you can, you can do it very easily, and it doesn't have to be on your cushion. Um, uh, what would you regret? You know what I mean? Like, in other words, what would you regret? What would you have wished that you had done? Address those now while there's time. That's really important. That's basic, you know, how to live well 101. That's, that's like just address that address that stuff and it may be something you can't you know you've always wanted to go to Antarctica but you know there just isn't a way to do it fine okay then maybe let that go but there are other things that you can take care of and taking care of our life as if our life depended on it is exactly what it means to begin walking with awakened feet we're taking very very we're paying very close attention 
to the things that pull and push us. Okay? Now, it, it, this is going to sound bizarre, but one of the things that can be really helpful as opposed to just contemplating what your death would mean not only to your, you know, your, your, your family, uh, to your students, uh, to your community, and all that stuff. Not, not only what would that mean, what would that be like, because can, ego can run with that one. You know? I wonder how many people would be at my funeral. <laughs> but, you know, it totally depends on the weather, so let that go. You know? Uh, it's you can we can we can play along those those lines, but they can get they can get messy. One way of an alternate practice is pay very close attention to your life. It's the same thing. Paying close attention to death or paying close attention to birth is still this deep attentionality that I I'm really kind of thrown down your throats here tonight, which is this is serious business. It is so serious. That not serious as in, you know, that's not an emotional seriousness, but this counts. Can I be more, even more specific? Sure, I'm, please. I'm guessing that I'm probably going down what you refer to as a very Western lane here. Mm -hmm. When I'm asking you, um, so are you saying specifically sit down, ask yourself a question about what you feel you're going to lose, or is it sit down and do a mantra, or is it? Oh yeah, I I, I would just. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know that I would ever ask yourself the question and then meditate on it. I actually wouldn't recommend that. When you're in seated meditation, when you're meditating, you're allowing for whatever your life tosses up to be there and with, with full alert presence. Okay? But as something, as just kind of a, a, a general bit of background noise to add to the already you know, abundant background, background noise of your life, I would, I would make sure that that fundamental reality has a place of primacy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so that doesn't have to be anything then, Robert, that you, you know, you really go after, you have to push, push for anything. I kind of, I, I don't think, I, I actually I wouldn't recommend that. Because that's not the, that the practice is to be the catcher to whatever gets pitched. Wait for it. Yeah, you wait for it. Right. You know? And just because you give the sign doesn't mean the fastball's coming. It could be a cur, you know, whatever. That's a, that's, That's we're going to use that metaphor later. Huh? <laughs> Thanks for coming tonight. <laughs>